Scott here from Social Energy Presents, and welcome to this podcast short from our signature show, Your Backstage Pass, featuring a special vignette from another great episode. And New York is close tonight. Tell the story of that, because that song was incredibly, like, it, it got successful. And the Bo Diddley connection and yeah, all that? It's bizarre. Oh, this, let's, go, uh, let's hear that stuff. Well, if you don't mind, I'll tell you how it came about. This is an interesting story, and it's true. Sure. This is much clearer to me than some of the earlier stories. But I was working at the Bay on Thursday nights, Friday nights, and all day Saturday in the, the very first teenage department at a department store. Prior to this, there was children's and adults. So in this year, which was, I guess, 1970 or 1969, they decided to open a teen department, which catered to people between the ages, let's say, I don't know, 15 and 22 or something. So I worked in that department and it was called Vibrations. So I went home one night and I wrote a, a jingle for them. And I went up to the general manager of the Bay and I said, I've written a jingle for the department. And he said, what? And I said, I've written a jingle for the department. And he said, okay. So I pulled up my guitar and I said, whoa, that's really, really good. How long will it take you to, how much will it cost me to make that a jingle? It was 60 second piece for the radio. And I said, 600 bucks. And I could have said $4,000. I could have said 80. I had no idea. 600 bucks. Okay. Mary, Write Mr. Greenfield or Barry a check out for 600 bucks. So I get a check, 600 bucks, a huge amount of money. And I found out the best studio in town was Tom Northcott's on 12th and Avenue, Studio 3. So I probably get the bus to Studio 3 with my guitar. There's Tom Northcott. I recognized him from being Tom Northcott. And I said, um, I have uh, 600 bucks. I'd like to make a jingle. Okay. So in the studio, hanging around, was a guy called, you might know this guy, plays in Trooper, and he, in those days it was called Applejack. His name is Smith. Smithy. Oh, Brian Smith, yeah. Right? You know him? A really good friend, yeah. Well, tell Smitty, he's the guy that played on New York's Post Night, never paid. And he's Are you the serious? Guy, I'm 100% serious. And he's the guy. Oh, my God, I was Trooper. just talking to him the other day. Well, tell him I love him, and I really respect him. Oh, he's him a lovely him. guy. And I, I, I'm not sure. I think I offered to pay him, and he said no. I, I think he thought I was just a kid. And so he, he was there, and um, Ken Lundgren, who was a bass player I knew, was there, and we knocked off the jingle in whatever. Vibrations is my home, I go there. Vibrations is my place, I go there. I love Vibrations. It was a minute long. I timed it. It had a 40-second bed in the middle where we played instruments, my, mostly my guitar, and Smith doing something. And then I went to Tom Northcott and I said, okay, he said, he said, well, you got $450 left. <laughs> and I said, oh, huh. I didn't spend it all. He said, no. I said, okay, guys, would you help me? And Smith said, yeah. And Ken said, yeah. And so we went into the studio, back in the studio, and I had two songs ready, New York's Close Tonight and a song called John Roll On. So we did New York's Close Tonight in two takes. I played the acoustic guitar. Smith played the guitar, which has become an iconic sound to me. And Ken played the bass, and I played a hand drum that was broken. So that's why I had the heartbeat. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, whoever the engineer was, engineered it. And within 20 minutes, New York closed, and I was finished. We spent the next three hours doing John Roll On. And that was going to be the A-side. And that was the end of it. And Ken Lundgren, who was the bass player, 
worked for the province. He, he was the Tom Harrison before Tom Harrison. And the province was a local, is a local newspaper in Vancouver. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. So he, he was reviewing Bo Diddley. So he went to Bo Diddley to do an interview after Bo Diddley's show. I believe it was at the Commodore, but it might not have been, it could have been the Savoy. I don't really know. And he said, hey, can I play you this song about New York? Played it for Bo Diddley. Now, Bo Diddley is not folk music. I mean, I guess you could call that ethnic blues folky, but you wouldn't think, right? But he thought, oh, this is really great. Can I have a copy of that? So Ken gave him the cassette because we had others. And the next thing you know, my phone is ringing and I've got a phone call from this dude in New York, Fred Allert, A-L-A-H-L-E-R-T, Jr. And he's got a New York accent and he says, uh, Barry Greenfield, this is Fred Allen in New York. I'm um, the owner of Blue Seas Music. We publish Baccarat and David. And I have a third on music and I have a Thursday music. And I think your song is the number one song. And I said, what song? He said, New York is closed tonight. I said, great. Get someone to sing it. And he said, I want you to sing it. And I said, no. And it went on for six months, man. He'd phone me every month and beg me to sing the song. And I said, no. One day he phoned me six months later from this first phone call. He phones me up and he says, I'm in San Francisco on Thursday. Will you come down and meet me? And I said, well, I don't have any money to fly to San Francisco. He said, I will get you the ticket, just go to Air Canada, give them your name, show them your passport, and they'll have the ticket waiting for you. I'll have a limo waiting for you at the airport. Get in the limo and they'll bring you to a restaurant in Fisherman's Wharf and you'll recognize me because I'll be waiting for you. Just ask for Fred. So I got on the plane the next day, went to San Francisco the next day and I really liked him. And I signed the contract there and he signed me to Laurie Records, L-A-U-R-I-E, out of... I think it was out of somewhere in the east, Detroit or somewhere like that. Yeah, we've got pictures of all this. The Laurie, yeah. the Laurie Leck record label. Yeah, and, uh, and it came out and it went to number one in Canada forever. And Daryl Burlingham told me it was the most played record in Canada in 1972. Darryl B. Yeah, and I am, um, I... World famous, time, uh, Canada's famous DJ, Daryl B. He's, he broke yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, he also the reason taking care of business exists. Exactly. And, yeah, he, yeah. He's the one that he was the one that came up with the line taking care of business. He didn't he, realize it, but he did. And he's he's the one that told me New York's closed. That was the most played song on Canadian radio that year. So you should be very proud of that, Barry. That's an achievement only one person achieves every year. And it got played so much, Mick, because of Canada content. I mean, the reason Terry Jacks exists, he sucks, is because of Canadian content. <laughs> The reason Burton Cummings gets so much airplay and he doesn't suck, he's okay, is because of Canadian content. I mean, I got so sick of Gordon Lightfoot, so sick of Anne Murray, so sick of Randy, so sick of those guys, overplayed, overplayed. And it's happened to the Beatles over the years, and it's happened to Led Zeppelin over the years. Too much play, right? It takes away some of the originality, some of the spark. And so Newest Post Night fit in a 33% section, written by a Canadian, recorded in Canada, Canadian content. Mm. So, and it was a crappy, crappy record. It was done in two takes. It was really, really not a good sounding record, but it had a je ne sais quoi about it, an honesty about it. Mm -hmm. So it went to number one, and Fred Allett then takes the song on Laurie Records to RCA and negotiates a three-year contract, three-LP contract with RCA Records. 
and um, gets 20 grand. And the deal I had with Fred Allett was every penny I got, he got 50% of it. Plus he got all the publishing. So I got 10 grand. Now 10 grand to me uh, was a lot of money. And it still is, but it was. And um, he then flew me down to LA where I was interviewed by three. I, I, I wasn't interviewed. I interviewed three producers to produce my first album. And I, I introduced Paul Rothschild from the doors. who was too spaced out for me. Another guy who I don't remember, really famous, don't remember who it was. And the third guy was a really overweight by maybe 100 pounds, five foot two inches, never made a record in his life. The staff producer at RCA, David Kirschenbaum. And I really liked Kirschenbaum. I liked his softness. I liked his heart. I liked the way he talked to me. I liked the way he loved his wife. We since divorced, but he loved his wife. I love people who love their wives. John Shields. I love that. And um, I picked him. And Fred said, how could you pick him over Paul Rothschild? And I said, I think Paul Rothschild is a fantastic record producer, but doesn't, he doesn't really listen to me. He just talked to me. And I think I want to be part of the record. If I'm going to take this huge step that I've refused, I want to be co-producer. I, want to, I know what I want. I don't want to be told how to do it. And Kirschenbaum, to, the, to his, his degree, let me have a big input. And so we made this LP built around New York's clothes tonight with the best players in America. It's called Double Scale Players. And it was the, probably some of the finest three weeks of my life. All those in New York clothes. So who are, the, who are the players that were on that album? Did you have some good ones? Yes. Like na- name ones? <laughs> well, there was the best. They were not only the best in name, they were the best players. They just... The only equals I played with are the guys in Nashville in the last six or eight years and Mick DeLavia guy <laughs> who I know in Victoria. <laughs> but there was Larry Carlton on guitar. And Larry Carlton had played on every single session from... Oh, he's, he's the best. He's the best. amazing. He, he was a guy that I loved the most. He was the, the best. Nice guy. Super. And he came in with a little sort of caravan and his, his roadie opened the doors and there was like... I know 30 guitars in the caravan and he picked one out. And the way Larry did it, which might really appeal to you, Mick, he sat on a chair across from me and he said, play me the song. So I played him the song in my primitive way, the way I play it for you. Like I remember with Quiet Canadians, how we started off our journey. And he just sort of copied my style. He sort of copied it the way I, if I used my fingers, he used my, my fingers. If I strummed, he strummed. He, if I used the capo, the capo. And the other thing that's about Blue Sky is I always had my guitar, my guitar tuned down half a tone. So the whole album is down half a tone. Everybody had to do that. And um, Larry Carlton learned the song. And before we actually, and the other players, then I'll get to the arranger in a second. Larry Carlton, Dean Parks, second guitar. Wow. Really good. Joe These are Osborne. all like Steely Dan people. Yeah, yeah, they all played on Steely Dan. Joe Osborne, who played that riff in um, uh, Mr. Tambourine Man, was yeah. with the Wrecking Crew. Joe Osborne on bass, who played on Simon and Garfunkel's. Yeah. Uh, Joe Osborne on bass, who was like just a rock. The bass player to me is the most important player around for my music. The drum, I had two drummers because the one guy's the conflicts. But listen to the two drummers, completely different characters. We picked the right one for the right song. Um, I had Russ Kunkel from James Taylor, oh Carol my God. King's band, playing um, 
on three or four of the songs and on the other seven song or six song coming over on the album i guess it was 10 was um jim gordon who was from Derek and the dominoes who wow. wrote layla with clapton who eventually went to prison and was murdered in prison he was a peculiar guy yeah. he was six foot six inches tall and just like doris maxwell and just like jerry adolph hit the drums 10 percent too hard right. just Listen to me, I'm in charge of this room. Yeah. And Russ Kunkel was the opposite. He was genteel, sensitive, subtle, and they both played a role. And on New York's Close Night with on the RCA version, which had an instrumental tag that I that I stole from Ram, uh, Jim Gordon flies through that. He was the right guy. St- stole reason- from Ram in what way? The Paul McCartney album. You yeah, mean. the way McCartney ends songs and he goes, I'm not going to do it because I embarrass myself. But when he could, he would do these screams. Like, backseat of my car, he comes back with an instrumental thing. I see. I like tag he does, yeah, he does two chords, usually D and C, he goes up and down. Right. And, he goes, and I just love that. Paul McCartney does the same thing over and over again. He does descending bass lines and ascending vocal lines. He does the same things in so many of his songs, like 1985, where he goes to, to a stop and then starts again. I think if you're going to steal, steal from the best. Yeah. So I stole that from Paul McCartney. And um, the reason that album is so great is because of two people. David Kirschenbaum, who became one of the best producers in music history, got 75 Grammys, don't know how many gold records, did Cat Stevens, Bob Dylan, Super Tramp, all of Tracy Chapman, all of Joe Jackson. I was the first record he ever did. I was the guy who gave him the break. I was wow. the guy that hired him. And Christian Boom told me that on the phone 10 years ago. And the other reason was Jimmy Haskell. Jimmy Haskell was the greatest arranger ever. Um, Bruce Springsteen's finest album to me is the one he did two ago, Western Stars. And it's an homage to Jimmy Webb and that late 60s music. And that's Jimmy Haskell, where he arranged stuff. So I flew to L.A. before I did this LP, and I lived in Jimmy Haskell's house for three days with him and his wife. And we spent three days arranging these 10 songs on Fender Rhodes. So when the boys came to play, we sat in a circle. I didn't play. I sat in the middle with a microphone and they were circled around me in Studio B in RCA, Grand Piano, Larry Nettle on Grand Piano, the guy from Bread who played Bridge Over Trouble Water. Oh yeah, Nettle. Oh man, playing the Grand Unbelievable. Piano. Joe, uh, Jim Gordon on drums to my left, Larry Cotton looking at me, so I was always singing to Larry, Dean Parks when he was needed, and a guy called Joe Estes, I think that was his name, his last name was Estes anyway, on percussion. And we played it all live. The only overdubs we did were lead guitar and background vocals, which we used. Mary Clayton, the one from Gimme Shelter. Right. And right. another woman. She was, she was pregnant when she sang that. Yeah, well, she wasn't pregnant with singing mine. She was <laughs> hot and she was, oh, God. Oh. oh, it was incredible to hear these, what I call, you know, bedroom songs. I'd sit on my single bed. Uh, uh, Play, writing these songs and then hear this band bring them colors and rainbows and hues and and uh, make them so much better than they actually were, although they couldn't be anything without the nucleus, but they colored them mm-hmm. all because well, of New York's Coast tonight. Hey, thanks for joining us. Check out our many other podcasts featuring vignettes and full episodes from a growing list of recording artists and other music insiders. 
And please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so we can bring you more great content from this and many other shows we're now producing. Available both on podcast and video on demand.